0: Kathy coaches parents teaching children with learning challenges. She provides resources, support, and guidance. After homeschooling her creative, distractible, and dyslexic son, Kathy interviewed 64 parents homeschooling students with learning disabilities. Then she wrote, Homeschooling Your Struggling Learner a handbook equipping parents to teach children with many learning challenges. Kathy also wrote Staying Sane As You Homeschool and Encouraging Your Child. She gives workshops and private consultations. I'm absolutely thrilled to have Kathy on the show. Homeschooling, Your Struggling Learner was the first book I read when I began our homeschooling journey with our son almost seven years ago. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth being patient about it until it receives the early and late rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. James 5, verses 7 and 8. Kathy Cool's book was the first book I ever read almost seven years ago as a new homeschooling mom. And I have to say that her book was a blessing because it really spoke to so many different areas of homeschooling and so many different resources that were available and that are still available. So I am so excited to be talking with you today, Kathy. Welcome to FASD Hope. Thank you, Natalie. It's great to be talking with you today. So let's start from the beginning because I, I know a little bit about your journey and your background as a homeschool mom and then becoming a, a, an advocate in the homeschool community, especially for children and teens that have special needs or who learn differently. But if you could share with our audience just about your journey and what led you to homeschooling. Certainly. Thank you. Well,
1: I did not intend to homeschool my son. Um, I had been a junior high math teacher before I got married and um, then worked as a computer programmer. When my kids started going to school, I got very involved. We had a wonderful school. I became the newsletter editor. We had a um, terrific principal who had such a caring heart for all the families and was an award-winning school and sent my younger child off to school and thought I'd go work and become an editor. Unfortunately, uh, things <laughs> didn't go as smoothly as I'd expected. Uh, in kindergarten, my son was coming home from school complaining about the homework and wanting to have a friend over every single day. So it didn't seem like he'd be a good kid to homeschool because I thought homeschoolers were kind of isolated. I had several friends, though, who were homeschooling, and they gave me materials to help me work with him over the summer and work after school and try to catch him up. This was a guy who had trouble learning the alphabet, had trouble with sequencing, had trouble learning to um, tie his shoes and ride a bicycle, a bunch of other issues. Uh, Counting was a big problem. And even in first, second, third grade, I was practicing counting with him and he couldn't get to 100 without leaving a few numbers out in the upper half. So we worked with him more and more. And became concerned because he was coming home from school frustrated and sometimes I'd say put away your backpack and he just had it and would explode. Doing remedial work after school as you all know is no fun when everyone's tired and when your kid's really frustrated. So we started homeschooling just over the summers and then um, beginning of fourth grade, end of third grade for him I guess it was, we were moving um, from one side of the Washington DC suburbs to the other. We moved from Maryland to Virginia. I knew the schools that were here were also excellent but I didn't really think things could go much better. Um, The school was giving him some extra help but it just wasn't quite enough and they said if we put him in the resource room more he will get further behind because he'll miss more in class. By then he'd been diagnosed with dyslexia and attention deficit disorder so, with a big gulp, I decided to try homeschooling the year we moved to Virginia. If you'd told me that year, the beginning of his fourth grade year, that we were going to do it through 12th grade, I probably would have run down the street and signed him up and p- back in public school because that was too scary a thought. But we took it a year at a time, and every year it just seemed like the best option for him. We took him in for a, a neuropsych evaluation in sixth grade, and the neuropsychologist said, This is the best thing you could be doing. And he then told me that I should write a book. (laughs) Um, We kept homeschooling and people started asking me for advice. I didn't think the world needed another book about how one family did one thing. So when he got through homeschool and graduated um, 12th grade, I started talking to other families. I interviewed 64 families homeschooling uh, kids across North America with different kinds of diagnosed learning disabilities, attention deficit disorder. And those were the days I first heard about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder and fetal alcohol syndrome. Talking to several of those parents I interviewed um, gave me insights and told me about their experiences. So I took all of that interview information, noticed a lot of patterns and developed what became my first book, the, the book you were talking about, Natalie, Homeschooling Your Struggling Learner is the handbook that I wish I'd had when I pulled my son out of school in after third grade. So that resource um, enabled me to get more opportunities to speak. I started speaking at more homeschool conferences in different states. I also was deeply concerned that um, professionals... Uh, understand that homeschooling is a great option for our exceptional children. So I spoke at the Learning Disabilities Association, at the International Dyslexia Association, at the Autism Society, as well as at some homeschooling special needs conferences. Just trying to encourage people that homeschooling kids who struggle is not as crazy as it sounds and really has many advantages. I try to bridge the homeschool and the special needs communities.
0: And I am so thankful you did, because again, I remember not only reading the book, but I remember going to one of my first co-op meetings, you know, when, when our son first started and quite a few of of the other moms had the book too, you know, and we were talking about it, how, and again, this was almost seven years ago, but your book just resonates with so many of us, especially since We, as parents, recognize that our children learn differently and homeschooling really accommodates so many of those differences and at the same time allows parents to learn the strengths of their child, which we Mm -hmm. know is very important, especially when building confidence and and just, just helping them enjoy learning. I love what you said also that you just took it year to year. I think that's wonderful advice for parents who are new to homeschooling is just take it year to year, getting through the the little chunks of time versus thinking about, oh, what's going to happen when they're done. I, I definitely mm-hmm. think that's wonderful advice. What led you further? Because you are a huge advocate in the homeschool community especially with regards to you know, learning differently and special, special needs, and then you also wrote a few other books. So how did that uh, develop? Thanks for asking.
1: As I spoke at a few state homeschool conferences, um, one thing leads to another. I did send my book out to most of the state homeschool organizations, um, to try and let them know I existed. One case about two years later, um, the uh, Florida Parent Education Association, which is, uh, has a very large homeschool convention, contacted me and invited me to speak. I also got to do some speaking overseas, which was fun. I had a friend who was stationed in Ramstein, Germany. She explained to me that there was a homeschool community there and they had a conference and she thought I should speak at it. And she said, you can stay at my house if you do. So I wrote them and talked with them and I saved my frequent flyer miles and got to go out there being in Europe was when I got to speak at one conference that led to others. And so I've had the opportunity mainly to English speaking audiences, but just to encourage people. You can imagine if your business, your husband's work, your work, take you abroad and you have a child with learning challenges, someone who learns differently, that navigating a different culture, a different language, and especially a different school system can be really daunting. So homeschooling can be a popular option there as well. Um, Along with the overseas work, I began doing more consulting um, by phone. happy to talk with folks who are listening now. We'll talk some more about how to reach me later for that. Spoken more at women's retreats, going to visit grandchildren. And that's a huge change since in the last seven years, I've become a grandmother. We have four grandchildren and the oldest who's six is now in first grade, her second year of homeschooling. Since COVID, I'm doing even more consulting with people. I give free 15 minute phone consultations and I'm Getting to speak to more online groups, or speak via Zoom to smaller groups. i have doing a little less travel the last couple of years, partly for my health and just because there was a little too much travel. So I'm trying to hit a standard pace and have um, more time to either go visit the California grandchildren or be with the local grandchild.
0: That's great. So it sounds like you're increasing your business and and development more online, which is mm-hmm. great because people are able to access you whom like you said, may not have originally been able to access you. So so that definitely is a silver lining of the COVID is being able to reach out to to folks who may not otherwise have been able to to speak with you. That's wonderful. And congratulations on being a grandma. That's fantastic too. And what a bless what a blessing that your grandchildren are being homeschooled too. That is such a an awesome legacy. Do you talk much to your children about homeschooling your grandchildren or do you, do you stay out of that?
1: <laughs> well, I didn't try to influence their decision. Um, and I still don't. I think one of my kids may not homeschool, um, okay. but child's not old enough anyway. So they got time to think <laughs> about it. We'll see. And with my daughter who is in California and has three children, originally it was, I think we'll just do this Maybe for kindergarten, right? And then first grade, she thought, well, okay. And then COVID hit, and she—no, actually, I've got my numbers back. And she's part way through homeschooling kindergarten. Okay. And she, um, when COVID hit, so she is so relieved that she homeschooled yes. for kindergarten because. Yes. Every year you homeschool, it just seems less crazy for the next year. It
0: does, it does. And and you really do get settled into, you know, your structure, your routine, and also just seeing how things develop too. So that's that's wonderful. Kathy, what tips or resources do you have for parents and caregivers who are homeschooling their children, particularly those who are new to homeschooling, and whose children have either an FASD or or another type of brain-based diagnosis?
1: I think the first thing to say, Natalie, is that there are so many resources out there. Now, I know during COVID, everybody and his brother and her sister has put something up about homeschooling. So it can be hard to find the good stuff. But can I suggest you start at my website, learndifferently.com. I don't sell curriculum. I'm mainly trying to provide resources and connections. And I have articles on getting started homeschooling. I tend to look for books that I think will help parents understand their kids better and review them, or I'll share links to websites that I've found helpful. And people can't pay me for that. It's not um, something that I do, I don't do endorsements for pay. And if there is any benefit I get, like if somebody gave me the book, I will tell you that, but I won't review it unless it's actually something helpful. So it's a fairly neutral resource. And I think parents should also realize that there's so many ways to homeschool. It's not like trying to bring school home and sit in desks in rows and do it just like school did. I gave a workshop for an educator who is a national leader in ADHD, just a training she was organizing. So for some other folks with who work with kids with attention deficit disorder. And I was talking about things like my son doing math laying on his stomach under the dining room table one year and um, giving all the flexibility we have in homeschooling. And um, we'll talk some more about that in a minute. And she was just blown away. This is a brilliant educator who and sort of assumed that homeschool was school at home. Uh, one of the moms I interviewed for homeschooling, your struggling learner, said, don't make your homeschool school at home. It didn't work at school. That's why you brought them home. And I think she summed that up very well. So, on the website, along with the resources, the books, and uh, the links I suggest, and the opportunity to sign up with me to, for a private consultation, a couple other websites I'd highly recommend. One is SPED Homeschool. That's S P E D This is a nonprofit that um, interviews experts every week. They have a podcast and webinar. They have that posted on their website, on YouTube. And there are hundreds of resources there to help you. They have online groups to connect you with resources, to advise you. Very helpful. And I am on the board of that organization because I became so impressed with them. The larger homeschool group you might have heard of also has a lot of special needs resources. That's called the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. So that's HSLDA.org. If you go to their website and tap on special needs, they have a huge special needs homeschool section. They will tell you everything from how can I possibly do this, what about therapies, what about high school awarding diplomas, different kinds of diplomas, um, dozens, dozens, maybe hundreds of resources. So those would be my top recommendations
0: and as a parent i've actually utilized both recommend both of those recommendations particularly hslda i think there's such a treasure to have in your homeschool toolbox. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've called them a couple of times, just about different things. And and it's nice to see in the past five years, they really have increased their outreach mm-hmm. for parents of kids with special needs. So mm-hmm. I'm so happy you mentioned that. If
1: you join the organization, and I think the dues are less than a hundred dollars a year, Yes, you get legal resources in case someone questions your right to homeschool. But for special needs families for fasd families what's really helpful is that large staff of special needs consultants on the special needs department there you can call as natalie says and you can schedule the time to talk with them and they will answer questions i know they're very busy this year because of so many more families moving away from schools as schools have gone online it just hasn't worked well for a number of families but when i was thinking of homeschooling my son, One of their consultants spent over an hour on the phone with me, helping me understand that I could do it because I was scared. Wow. And she was terrifically helpful.
0: Yeah, yeah. And we will list both those resources that Kathy mentioned um, in our program notes for today's episode. So one of the things that I did, and I got this idea, not from your book, but I kind of tweaked it from your book, was our son was very... could focus when he was doing something very sensory. So either like riding a scooter or Mm -hmm. bouncing on a trampoline or something like that. So we would incorporate that into things like spelling words or things like Mm -hmm. math problems and things like that. So those are some examples of some of the the strategies we used to make that real life accommodation into Mm -hmm. helping their learning. What are some other real-life activities or strategies that homeschool parents can use to reinforce learning for kids and teens who learn differently, especially those that have memory deficits?
1: There are so many. It's hard to know where to begin. I mean, I could talk for an hour just on this point. In fact, I've given a workshop on memory boosters. And at my website, learndifferently.com, if you click on talks, there's a handouts tab. And there are all of the handouts to all my talks so uh, and about a dozen or more of those including the memory one and then another dozen or more handouts on teaching math because I find a lot of math strategies you really need to see it on paper you can't just read a description. Um, So that's one place to start. It's important to realize that memories are stored in different parts of the brain so Like reading, that means good news and bad news. It means if there's a difficulty, either an injury, trauma, FASD, something that that impacts one part of the brain, there's many different ways memory can be impacted or reading can be hindered, difficulties in those areas. But the good news is there's so many other parts of the brain that can jump in and help to compensate. So you want to look at your child, look at your test results you have, maybe maybe a neuropsych evaluation or other testing, and try to understand which areas of memory are your child's weaknesses and which are the strengths. The uh, working memory, for instance, um, it, which is, used to be called short-term memory, occurs in different ways. We have visual, um, spatial, short um, short-term memory. We have auditory, short-term memory. Think of yourself walking down the hall trying to get to your phone and repeating the phone number you just heard over and over so you won't repeat it. It's that loop, audio loop going in your head. This your short-term audio auditory memory. You have um, kinesthetic working memories. You just got something the right way. Maybe maybe you managed a good tennis serve and you're trying to remember how that arm felt because it clicked that time. so you want to understand which areas your children are are good and bad at. I want to just read you a little few words from a book that I've found particularly helpful. Um, it's called The Mislabeled Child by Brock and Fernet Idy. And it's a great resource. I, I think every homeschool group and every public library should have a copy. It's a great resource for understanding different kinds of learning challenges. Um, the author's last name is Idee, E-I-D-E, and they homeschooled their kids. They're both doctors. Brock is the husband and Fernette is the wife. They have an excellent chapter on memory. Chapter three of the book is called Gone in 60 Seconds. You know anybody like that? I sure do. <laughs> well. Here's how they described one kid's working memory issues. This was a girl who had, I'm not working memory, memory issues. She had a strong visual memory, but terrible auditory memory. So she was really struggling in school. I think she was six when this happened. So we asked the little girl, Kendra, to close her eyes and picture some numbers in her imagination when she heard them. Now she, at this age, at age... um, Six could only remember about three, no, she was seven, excuse me. She could only remember about three numbers and average for that age is five, according to these doctors. I should mention that Burnett's a neurologist. So Amanda could only remember three. So they asked her, how is she remembering numbers? And she said, she imagined them, I'm reading here now, glittering and dancing on a stage in her brain. And unfortunately, when a new number was called, the old number danced off and she couldn't remember. So we asked her to try to keep all those numbers on stage together so she could read them off at once. She closed her eyes and listened and then remembered five numbers in sequence, which was perfectly average for a seven-year-old." Unquote. So that's just one example of a good therapist helping you think of a strategy to use a kid's weakness. I'd recommend reading the IDs book, learning more about which areas your child struggles in and trying to build on their strengths. There's many strategies to teaching math, using hand motions. Mnemonics can be a a huge help. If your child is having trouble memorizing something, you can just Google that thing plus mnemonic. Music helps some kids. I have taught algebra in homeschool groups even after I finished homeschooling as well as before I had kids but it was only in the last few years learning to help kids with special needs that I learned you can sing the quadratic formula, which is really goofy, but it sticks. It really helps, helps me memorize it faster and better. So incorporating different strategies can help. If your child is struggling with some procedure, like say long division, the day they get it, you can have them write down how they did it on a sheet of paper that you put in a binder. You call that their math manual. If they have handwriting issues, you take dictation, but they show the problem, show the work. And then three days later, when your kid can't remember how to do long division, they can pull out that book and see it in their own handwriting, in words that made sense to them. That's why you want to take dictation or have them write it. It's got to be their words. Um, We can use stories to help kids uh, do things like memorize math facts. We can use rhymes and rhythms to help them memorize state capitals or whatever project it is they're trying to remember and learn. Um, I taught my son Bible verses and we used a whiteboard uh, with the whole verse written out and read it together aloud several times and then I'd start erasing words and it became kind of a game. Can you still say it if mom takes out three more words and that made it fun. We used his favorite color on the marker. So those are just a few. Does that address some of what you're talking about, Natalie?
0: Oh yes, those are wonderful strategies. Those are terrific strategies. And I will be listing that book in our list of many resources for today's episode uh, in our program notes, because uh, everything you're saying is just, it's wonderful. And I really love how you are putting fun into learning strategies too. I mean, we we so often mm. overlook that. And like the, the mom that you interviewed for your book, you don't want to recreate school at home. Mm. You know, that is not working for your child. That may work for many children, but for many of our children, that may not work. So what you want to do is, it sounds like what you're doing is incorporating the senses, making learning a, a multi-sensory thing, incorporating their strengths or their favorite things, you know, incorporating games. Mm -hmm. I love this. Um, I'm just so excited to be talking to you about this. With that in mind, why do you think if you are, we're talking to now to parents who are kind of on the fence, you know, we know that we have listeners who, yeah, or maybe they're homeschooling and they're not sure if they can do it. Why do you see homeschooling as a potentially good fit for kids and teens with either an FASD or other brain-based diagnoses? It's good for many
1: reasons. If I had to put it in one word, I would say flexibility. And that works out many ways. It works out in terms of your daily schedule. Uh, One mom I talked to had a child with epilepsy who would have multiple seizures some nights and they'd need to shift and start late and go light. That's fine. You don't have that school bus coming in the morning. You can flex. If you have a child who needs surgeries, who needs therapies weekly you don't have to do therapy after school when they're tired if there's illnesses if you can flex for that if you have a child on the other hand with a passion or interest you can flex to accommodate that my son became interested in boy scouts at age 12 and wanted to go on camping trips wanted to keep doing that in high school but as he told me when high school started he thought he was never going to have any fun again because he just figured he'd be chained to his desk or something (laughs) chained to his oar and um because we were homeschooling i could arrange his schedule so that he had no major exams with me on monday morning after a camping trip we could flex so schedule for that way, schedule, not just daily schedule, but yearly schedule. If your family has a rare opportunity, there's a community event that ties into an interest of your child or the uncle who shares your daughter's passion for taking apart cars. If he's going to be there for a few weeks and they can do a project together, great. If grandparents are visiting and you want to study oral histories, field trips, we didn't even mention that on helping memory deficits getting out in the field whether it's a literal field or out into the woods um, those hands-on memories are so much more vivid because there's so much more multi-sensory my son will tell you he remembers the first time he was in a canoe because we were collecting water samples with the conservation society near us and we got to go canoeing that was great Um, so those that flexibility. So we're talking about flexibility now in location, not just schedule um, time of year and time of day where we can flex doing jigs at our best time of day, for instance, Um, but where we homeschool in a canoe and on the sofa, on the kitchen table, in the dining room, outside on the street, while jumping up and down on a trampoline. While jumping rope, while standing on your head. I know one family where the mom told me that they discovered her son could follow the read aloud better if while mom was reading history, son was upside down on the sofa with his feet in the air. Worked for him. So good. So we have that flexibility physically in terms of locations, in terms of movement. But I think maybe the best flexibility we have is we can base homeschool on our kids' Not just their weaknesses not just their needs but on their strengths and their talents and their passions so if you've got a kid who only wants to think about horses or japanese anime or whatever it is the outdoors you can build so much around that and engage their interests when i teach writing at our homeschool group i let my kids my students These would be high school students. They have to write an awful lot of essays for me, but they can write them on anything they want, provided I don't think their topic's objectionable. If their parents don't mind and I don't mind, then the world is open to them. So they learn to do research, not doing something they think was boring, but something they thought was really cool, like pirates or space exploration or whatever they wanted to do. Um, Going with their passions and building on their strengths uh, gives you so many opportunities and really gets your child engaged. It can also overcome that, I won't say hatred of learning, but some of our kids have really lost that love of learning. Children are born wanting to learn. They want to play and learn and explore. But if they've had lots of really frustrating school experiences, and I'm sure some of you had that yourself or have a child dealing with it now, it can burn them out. They can feel discouraged. But when we give them interesting educational things to do, when we leave art supplies available in the home and we take them places and let them go out and draw what they see in nature or sketch a skyscraper they see going up down the street, then we can begin to rekindle that love of learning. and That can take them very far.
0: That is so important to remember because as someone who just finished one kid's homeschool journey and he's in a skilled trade and we're thrilled and beginning kindergarten homeschooling with our daughter who's going down a much different road in her homeschool journey. It's so important to remember that learning is fun. You know, we we need to keep that in our mind every day when we're working Mm -hmm. with our kids. And like you said, it's really being creative and helping them ignite that passion in the things that mean so much to them. This has been such a lovely conversation, and I really hope that it gives parents and caregivers and educators things to think about, especially for the rest of this year.
1: Yes. And Natalie, another thought I had about working with their passions is there can be two problems. When you ask me many years ago when my son was 10, what my son was good at, what his passion was, it would have been hard for me to answer because I said Legos, maybe. But but I couldn't see how that would ever lead to anything useful because he was very creative with Legos, but not in a way that people would say, wow, that's an awesome kit. We should get Lego to manufacture it um it was creative in a different way if you can't see where your kids passions are i would say explore different things and give it time and if it seems like something crazy then still give it time and just let them go a little bit that thing that your child's very interested in doing may not lead to a career and that's okay They can learn perseverance, they can learn many things by going after a passion that doesn't lead to a career. And that interest, that perseverance, those study skills can help them in other ways. So I would encourage you, if you don't know what your kid's good at, to let them keep trying different things and be encouraging where you see them succeeding. Sometimes kids will do very weird things with pieces of string and cardboard and build weird things. And you'll think, what's that good for? And they go off and become an engineer or something, or they go off and go into a trade because they've got that spatial three-dimensional sense that made a mess of your living room, but ended up being very
0: foundational for them. Definitely. Definitely. Such lovely advice. So we are towards the end of this conversation, which I wish we could tag on another hour, but hopefully we can have you back again, maybe sometime (laughs) Mm -hmm. soon to, to talk some more. We like to end our episode on what I affectionately call a hope takeaway, which is something to give our listeners hope in their journey. What hope takeaways can you offer to our listeners about your experiences and your work? Well, these days, especially
1: for parents who are just thinking about homeschooling, I have many, but I'll give you two. Three of the parents I interviewed before writing Homeschooling Your Struggling Learner had trained as special ed teachers. And as I told you before, I was a junior high teacher. So you might be thinking, well, sure, they can do it. Kathy can do it. She had that certificate. Are these special ed teachers? Sure, they could do it. But all of those moms said to me to tell you, you can do it because what they're doing in a classroom very different than what you're doing you are working with a student you've known since they came home to you from birth or when that adoption began you've known this child longer than the teachers do you have more commitment you've got more reason to want this kid to succeed even than the dearest teacher in the world so you've got that going for you and also you don't have 10 kids in the resource room bouncing off the walls and you're having to teach to the lowest common denominator. Now I've taught in resource rooms and I have a lot of respect for special education teachers, but sometimes they've got an awful lot on their plate. In fact, I've even met special ed teachers who've left teaching and moved into helping parents homeschool kids with special needs. So that's the first thing, special education teachers, a lot of them who are familiar with homeschooling will say, you can do this. So that's the first thing I'll say to you. The second thing I'll say is more personal. When I was researching to write my first book, I would sometimes get discouraged because I'd read things and think, oh man, if I'd read this 10 years ago, I'd have done something differently in the homeschool. I wish I'd known before. One of those days, my son came into the room. He would graduated a year or two before. So at that point he was uh, maybe 19 or so. And he comes up and sees I'm looking kind of down. He says what's wrong mom and I said oh I was really sad that day with this one particular book I had overlooked for years and he said what's wrong I said well I just wish I'd read this book years ago my son patted me on the shoulder and he looked at me and he said it's okay mom God knew that you weren't going to read it until now and I thought my son struggled with reading he struggled with algebra he's struggled with college courses since then. There's been so much struggle in his life. But if I had to choose between a kid for whom school came easy and a kid who thought God was overseeing and had a good plan for his life, then I got what I wanted. I got the guy who understood that. So that's a blessing that encouraged me and I hope encourages you.
0: Absolutely. What a beautiful story. We we hope that these words that Kathy, that Kathy's sharing today are, are helping and for more help and for more resource. My website is called learndifferently.com. If you go there, you can
1: use the contact page or what's even easier, the lower right-hand corner of every page, there's a little blue bubble that says got questions. It's one of those chat bots. If you click on it, my face will pop up and you can either type in a question, leave me your email address and I'll get back to you or you can set up a free 15, 20 minute phone conversation. Uh, There's some times there you can pick and then I'll get back with you to confirm and we'll just have a chat. Some of those chats are one-off one or two answers. Uh, Sometimes it's an audition. I'm auditioning to see if um, I'm someone that you would like to hire to get some more individualized help, more in-depth work. And you're sort of on an audition because I'm listening to see if you're somebody I think I can help. Because if I don't think I can help you, I'm going to send you to somebody who I think can. I don't want to waste your time. And um, I think that's a good way for, for us to get to know each other a little.
0: So that is wonderful. And again, we will list Kathy's information in our program notes on fasdhope.com. Thank you so much for being on FASD Hope today.
1: Well, I'm delighted to know about this podcast. I'm impressed with what I've seen, and I think you're going to be helping a lot of people. So
0: thank you. This homeschool journey, it can be hard. It can be challenging, but it is also a beautiful blessing. So again, if you have any questions or if you'd like more information, you can visit our website, fasdhope.com. And we will also have in our program notes for our podcast all of Kathy's information. Thanks again for listening to FASD Hope with Natalie Vecchione. If you like our show and want more information, check out fasdhope.com or please leave us a five star rating and follow us on Podbean, iTunes, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Make sure you join us next week and remember to be informed, take care, and always have hope.